Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. If you haven't yet, I would like to invite you to go ahead and subscribe so that you can get these podcasts automatically. I post them. I try to post them every day on our Facebook page, but I would love for things to just go out automatically. That would be ideal. Right now on the Daily Devotion, we're looking at 1 Peter. We've made it up to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, which has a, a really popular verse in it. 1 Peter 3, 15 is this verse that often gets used for apologetics. If we're honest, a little bit out of context, but, but that's all right. Uh, let me read these verses, then I'll pray for us, and we'll jump in and, and hear what it is that Peter's writing both to his readers and to us. Father, we thank you for your word and ask that as we read it together and as we think about it together, that you would strengthen us in our faith to live in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." Well, Peter, as you can hear in these words, is still calling us to this reality of suffering for the gospel and suffering well in light of the gospel. He asks this question, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And and that's an interesting question to ask because the reality is the vast majority of the time, If we are doing what is good, that that which the Bible defines as good, that which Peter has just defined as good, having unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind towards one another, not repaying evil for evil, not repaying reviling for reviling, but blessing people. If If we, let's take that as our understanding of what is good, living that way, living in this incredible unity with other believers, and then not repaying evil for evil to those who come at us with whatever it is that they come, not repaying reviling for reviling, but instead blessing people. If we're zealous for that, Peter asks this very legitimate question, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for these things? The reality is, if we seek to live that way, if by the Spirit we are enabled to live that way in unity with one another, and in humility towards everyone, and blessing people, even our enemies who curse us, rather than cursing them back. The reality is, very few people are going to seek to harm us. I mean, that's just the reality. Yes, I get it. People will hate us because they hated Jesus. I understand that. I understand that the gospel will still be an offense at times. But the vast majority of the time, if we are zealous for 
actually doing good as Peter defines it here. So by doing good, he doesn't mean demanding our way or getting in people's face about what political party we think is right or, or what this, that, or the other, but, but seeking to bless our enemies rather than take them down. Peter's question is a very good question for us to think through. What's interesting is, now who is there to harm you? The the word for for harm you, the verb that's there, it's only used six times in the entire New Testament. Mostly in the book of Acts. In fact, everywhere except for here that we find it, it's in the book of Acts. Once it's used to talk about how Pharaoh and, and the Egyptian people were treating the Israelites in their midst... Another time it's used for Herod and how he was dealing with Christians when he sought to kill them. What's fascinating is the rest of the time, this word for harming you is used to describe how religious people, how the religious establishment who were so caught up in the political world and and had mixed all of these things, how they were treating people who were seeking to follow Christ. It's just a fascinating reality that the harm that Peter has in view here, if we follow how this word is used, isn't necessarily from the pagan world, but it can come from even those who see religion as something, as a means to an end that it's not actually intended to be. But then Peter says this, but... If you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed, or or you are blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. We're we're blessed when we suffer. We're filling up the suffering of Christ, and and when we suffer, He reminds us. Still, even then, we are blessed. Now, we can take this a couple of different ways, and I'm not sure they're mutually exclusive at all. On the one hand, we can recognize that it is a blessing, it is a benefit, it is a privilege, as as the apostles talk about it, to be counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. On the other hand, we can take it as a reminder that suffering in this life does not indicate that we are not blessed by God. We get this confused all the time and we think that that the blessing of God is related to and, and directly attached to comfort in this life. I think both ideas are in view here. That when we are counted worthy to fill up the suffering of Christ, we are blessed. The other side of it is that I also think is true is that suffering in this life, as we have seen throughout this letter, is not an indication of our standing with God. Because our standing with God, our being His beloved, our being born again to a living hope, isn't hinging on, it doesn't depend on this life, but only on the finished work of Jesus Christ and God's sovereign mercy coming to us according to his will. And so, Peter says, we don't have to fear them or be troubled. Now, this isn't an altogether different idea than what we read at the end of Romans 8, where we're reminded 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why Peter can be so bold and say, if you suffer, don't fear them. Don't even be troubled by them because they can't separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Rather, what we are to do is in our hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Continue as Christ entrusted himself to the Father. We continue entrusting ourselves to him regarding him as set apart and therefore us in him as set apart with him and therefore full of hope. And so this is where this apologetic verse comes in, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. What this verse isn't saying is that our job is to have an answer to every philosophical or historical or archaeological or whatever rebuttal to Christianity. That's actually not what is in view here is all at all. I'm not saying that that's not something that maybe some of us should be interested in. I'm just saying that this verse probably shouldn't be the lifeblood that it is for this whole Christian apologetics industry because that's not what's in view here. What's in view here is announcing to people that don't understand why we have hope in the face of suffering the reason that we have hope in the face of suffering. In other words, what this is calling us to is being able to say I have hope in the face of suffering. I have hope in the face of persecution because Christ has freed me from the present evil age by conquering sin and death on behalf of his people. See, that's what this is calling us to, is giving a reason for the hope that we have, not a defense of the veracity of the Christian faith, but a defense of why we have hope in the face of suffering. Because Christ suffered on the cross, and I am secure in him. And by God's grace and in his mercy, I've been caused to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is undefiled and unfading, and no suffering in this life can take that away from me. But then he tells us how we're to do this, with gentleness and respect, not in your face, not trying to take people down, not trying to to prove ourselves, not trying to justify ourselves by our, our, our vitriolic response, but with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, 
those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In other words, when we come back to, to in, in response to things, to, to attacks, when we come back at all of that with, with the same level of vitriol, with the same level of, of hubris, with the same level of arrogance, with the same level of anger, with the same level of wrath, and, and, and all of those things, we're proving them right. But when we respond in gentleness and respect with a clear conscience, they're being put to shame. Because even though they may still bully, even though they stay, may still suffer, uh, cause suffering and persecute, everybody around knows exactly what's really going on. And then he reminds us, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. When we come back with evil responses, giving evil to evil, reviling to reviling, and we continue to suffer, we've put ourselves in a worse position than if we suffer silently entrusting ourselves to God with gentleness and respect in our answers. Might we learn to suffer in Christ as he suffered for us because that is what God has called us to. And no suffering can separate us from his love. Mm-hmm.